Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, the only industrial safety podcast that brings you common sense advice on job site safety, standards, regulations, and industry best practices without putting you to sleep. All right, welcome to another episode of Dave and Bacon Safety Tales. Uh, we're here for another uh, another episode to talk some safety with you guys and tell it like it really is out there. So, what's going on with your life? Anything good? Uh, actually, I went back to, uh, this year for, uh, I was in a fraternity in college down at Murray State University, Sigma Pi. So, we had our 50th year, our 50th anniversary of the charter of the fraternity. So you get some of the... No, 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 nothing None like that. that. Not stomping the yard? No, nobody, nothing crazy. <laughs> I mean, basically it was, uh, had it not been for Facebook, I would have no idea what any, it would have been like, oh my God, you have two kids that are in high school? Right. It been that, but it was, uh, I guess at least with Facebook, I was able to have some conversations where it was like, yeah, Sean, I know that you work at the bank here and (laughs) you got a daughter she looks be like 13 or something yeah what's up and you know so you were at least warmed up for a conversation but there's never never a point in life that i would take that over you know actually breaking bread or having a beer with somebody or you know just kicking back and you know lived a lot of stupid old times uh my girlfriend did go with us so she heard a bunch of stupid shit that you know Stuff she probably assumed, anyways. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think it probably was earth shattering to her by any <laughs> right. stretch of the imagination, but you know, you know, got to hear, got to hear some good old, good old that uh, you know back then. Yeah. You know, it's uh, and it's funny because when you look at the Greek system, you know, Animal House, the movie came out in like the sixties or seventies or something yeah, like say that. Seventies. So. So that was really about Greek life in the 60s. Yeah. You know, so it's been logically kind of uh, less hazing and less illegal activities per se uh, to where, you know, these kids are listening to some of the stuff that, you know, we would do. And they're like, you know, they're not even allowed to like, you know, from a have alcohol at something like right. they, they We couldn't on... Uh, university property have alcohol in a room with them. It's like, what do you think we're gonna? You know, we're gonna hold yeah. them down and make them. You know, these kids are. You know, and a lot of them are in there. You know, they're old enough to drink. But, right. But the rules. So we've made more rules to make everything. You know, hard. Yeah. So I didn't break any rules, but it <laughs> kind of makes me. You know, sometimes when things are not. Yeah. In the right place for the right thing we did uh grandpa came in uh, my father-in-law came in we did some fishing this weekend so two and four year old went out and we threw a pole out in the yard or not in the yard in the pond okay and uh, say, we do have a nice a nice pond that's like five minutes from our house so okay. walk down there and throw a couple in and fishing's a lot of fun a lot of fun and you catch stuff i feel like every time i fished when i was a kid it was like throw it in there and i'm gonna sit here for two hours and catch nothing um, and then cool. reel, reel it back in and then oh, okay i've been out here three hours now and i caught one fish but this was like through the through the pole in five minutes you got a bite and reel yeah. them in so my son caught three fish and my daughter caught two do you know what kind of fish like they were two hours. uh i mean start throwing bluegill there we go it uh, came to me came to me faster than what i thought okay so all bluegill. Well, that's that's a that's a funner fish for a kid. Yeah, 
Yeah, about the size of my hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, hold them up, and they held up the string. And first it was disgusting, and then it was I'm I'm touching the fish, and it yeah. got to be a pretty fun time. So they both did good. But today, um, you brought up uh, rules that there's adding more and more rules, and here you go, perfect segue into uh, we brought in one of the guys from Ergodyne. Actually, it's going to happen later this week, so I'm talking about something that's going to be in the future. But um, because there's a new ANSI. You call it a standard? I guess it's still a standard. Yeah. On so ANSI, tool tethering, right? Yeah. When we talk about standards, see, there's different, there's different uh, ones that are out there, and I think a lot of times we get mixed up on what they are and what they mean. Yeah. So, like, when you have uh, an ANSI standard, it's usually about around how something's made and how you test it to see if it does something. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, like when you talk about fall protection. Yeah. You got ANSI uh, 359, and then there's, God, I think it's it's over 20 now subsets. Right. So, but then one subset will talk about lanyards, and it'll say if it's an ANSI, if it's stamped with an ANSI mark, that means that it's been tested to this set, set of specifications. So anybody that sells this, and the next guy that sells it, if they're both you know, for instance, ANSI 359 dot whatever, then they're both been tested and should react the same way. They may be different features and benefits, right? but when you talk about that, it's testing, you know, uh, dummies in known load situations to make sure that fall arresting forces are under certain, you know, sp certain specifications. So the new tool tethering standard that's come out is kind of, kind of the rules on how you use something because theoretically tool tethering if you didn't have uh if you didn't define it yeah could, could be okay i've got some baler twine and duct tape yeah, and i'm gonna put this around my wrist at this and then duct I'm, tape to my tool belt and then i'm gonna duct tape that that screwdriver you know to to the other end of the you know the baler twine and i've got tool tethering yeah so it goes back in there and goes well how big, how much weight, how far should it drop, how much weight sh or how much, you know, force should you be allowed to maybe tie off on a person? Yeah, you're burying the lead here. we got an interview coming up with the guys from Ergodine. It's probably what he's going to want to talk about, well, eh? Probably, but I'm just trying to lay out that, you know, when we talk about, you know, standards is some people, you, you yeah. get mixed up on, you know, usually OSHA will say, hey, you need, a rule. you'll need fall protection. And when you use fall protection, buy fall protection that does... ANSI 359. Right. So there's still, you know, there's loosely some things that say, you know, when you're working in heights that, you know, you're responsible for not dropping stuff. There's, right. you know, dropped objects. But there's nothing that really defines, okay, when you do that, how do you do that? Yeah. If you're wearing a cut-resistant glove, it's not an oven mitt. Yeah. Right. So there's got to be something that says this is what that actually means. So, all right. Well, cool. We'll get into uh, the interview here with uh, guys from Ergodyne, and uh, we'll catch back up with you afterwards. Thanks. Okay, here we go. We got uh, Craig Myrie from Ergodyne here, and you know we're kind of we're on the whole dropped objects, objects at height kind of thing. So, Craig, why don't you tell us about yourself and Ergodyne? Give us a little overview of what that is. Sure. Thanks, Dave. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm the regional sales manager for the Midwest. Um, been working with Ergodyne for about eight years. Initially started as inside sales and been doing uh, the regional. Uh, They're letting you out of the building travel. now, huh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> right on. So, kind of fun getting out on the job site and 
seeing what these workers are actually facing. You know, yeah. you get to some of these job sites and you're like, wow, I'm surprised there's not more injuries. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so at uh, Ergodyne, we're a safety manufacturer, been in business uh, 35 years. Um, we're headquartered in St. Paul, Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, initially invented the back support, um, but you know, a big kick right now is the uh, objects at heights category. So, you know, we were talking and you had a story about a recent job sites that you were on that really kind of delves into the meat and potatoes of why we're doing this and what people are not doing. So tell me about that. Exactly. I was at a job site. Uh, they were building an apartment complex and, you know, I, we were in the building and I was following the safety manager and we, we walked out of the building. And uh, once we got outside of the building and it was open on top of us, we could see that it was sectioned off. And, and uh, a worker came by and said, hey, you guys got to, you know, this is supposed to be sectioned off. We just had a piece of rebar drop. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I looked up. I'm like, let's get the heck out of here. Yeah, so yeah. it just kind of goes to show that, yeah, the, not all the rules are being followed. Sometimes mm-hmm. there are no rules and uh, you really got to be paying attention. Out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you when you look at it realistically, there's. There's loose interpretations when it when mm-hmm. when OSHA looks at it. So you got obviously 1926 uh, probably does a little bit better job of explaining that versus 1910. But how? Tell me a little bit on those standards. You know, as because it kind of refers to you know just generically you know dropped objects. You know, it doesn't do a you know like when you talk fall protection. There's there's a lot of rules in there. Mm-hmm. There's there's loosely writ, and we'll get into the the new ANSI standard, but it's 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 usually cited general duty, right? If somebody mm-hmm. has an issue, yeah, and and general duty clause is kind of the main way where someone could potentially uh, get caught because it, it basically says if there's a known hazard, you should be stopping or, or doing something mm-hmm. to fix that. Uh, but then you know there's the general industrial standard and the construction standards that you talked about with scaffolding and it, it, it basically says you should be uh, uh, stopping tools from dropping, but that's yeah. very loose. It gives you no instructions on how to actually do that. And and really there's no base underneath that of testing, designing, and how to implement that program. So there's some, obviously there's a lot of people being hurt. Otherwise we, you know, OSHA wouldn't care that we, there would be no push for it. So domestically, what kind of, what kind of rates do we have? What's happening? I mean, there's deaths, I'm sure. I mean, uh, oh, you yeah. read about them all the time. How many deaths in the United States? Yeah, so when you look at all the fatalities from the U.S. on construction sites, I mean, uh, objects, dropped objects is a, a 5% of the fatalities in a year. So, okay. you know, most recent uh, stats from 2016, um, from uh, um, objects uh, falling, it's 255 deaths per year in the U.S., that's amazing. Yeah. So you think of per state, you know, that's over five per state, obviously, uh, uh, different densities, but that kind of hits home to show that there's a lot of uh, fatalities. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, just injuries, there's almost 48,000 injuries uh, from, from dropped objects every year. And, and that's just what's, uh, you know, talked about. I mean, there's a lot of injuries that, you know, yeah. really are from a dropped object. They might not get out. Well, like you were category. talking earlier, that piece of rebar that hit the ground, mm-hmm. it got recorded nowhere. No. I mean, it just, thank God nobody was standing there. Exactly. So, yeah. Same thing when you look at tools. Like if you're a a company that repairs tools, a lot of these Mm -hmm. tools come in and you look at them and, you know, I'm sure a large percent of those, of those tools were actually dropped. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the things that I know when I've talked to our customers about it is I go, there's two ways to look at it. Even if you, 
you don't really buy into the, the, the safety aspect of it, which is hard to believe that some people won't, mm-hmm. is if you look at the replacement cost on a lot of, of the tools, a lot of the, uh, obviously, if you drop a tool, it, you're going to have to go retrieve said tool. Where is it at? Is it damaged? There's a lot of cost tied up in that. So a lot of what you can do from a dropped object is you're, if you're trying to explain it to management is sometimes they'll look at it and go, that's not a big deal. But if you can explain it, well, if we save one drill, we've, we've completely paid for, you know, all the tethering that we would need for a person. Sometimes it's easier to explain it that way. I, you know, I think so. Yeah, tell I me mean, when you look at other uh, costs, I mean, yeah. um, obviously fatalities are, are the worst. There's and no there's doubt cost. About it. But you know, I think, you the drop bo- tool- I think a body costs you like one point four million dollars these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of these job sites, though, if you drop a tool and and break a, a water pipe in some of these big facilities, that might be shut down for the rest of the day. Yeah. So you could almost cost more than a fatality. Yeah. For some of those. There's situations. no doubt about that. So uh, okay, tell me, kind of. Let's. We don't have to. I know that standards can be. Oh my God, they can be boring. But why don't you tell me what the new standard that's come out, what its name is, and kind of how it operates? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's the ANSI ISEA 121 standard. Okay. And, and you know, with some standards, there are revisions or new ones. Uh, this one's completely new. Uh, there was really nothing in this category in the past. So mm-hmm. really exciting to see that uh, everybody jumped on board and got this pushed through and, and published. So really what it is, it's a manufacturer's uh, testing uh, labeling, uh, designing, and performance standard. Okay. So it's a, a voluntary end-user standard, um, but really it's for the safety manufacturers that develop and design these tools and tool lanyards and systems. Because right now it was the Wild West. You know, I was yeah. at a job site, and uh, there was a tool lanyard that it said holds approximately 110 pounds, which <laughs> approximately, that word should never yeah. be with fall protection or harnesses or anything. So this really... Uh, goes down and says, all right, if you're going to have a tool lanyard, you have to design it a certain way. So, for example, a design might be a locking carabiner. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, that's one piece labeling. So it has to specifically uh, have the label that says weight rated to X amount of pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one of the standards. So also the performance, you you know. I mean, like you say, I mean, when you look out there, I've seen it a lot where a tool tether is duct tape and rope. (laughs) <laughs> which is a which is a bad idea. Um, yeah, you look at that. There's no testing. I mean, one piece might uh, be ten pounds, the other piece might be two pounds. So that that should be a two pound solution, and there's really nothing that goes into that. So what other? So you kind of mentioned labeling requirements, uh, requirements for closures. What what other things are kind of hit in this? Um, you know, inside of that, there's also the the drop test. You know, so. When they drop a tool lanyard and a tool, that test, it's usually a two-to-one safety factor. Mm -hmm. So if it says 10 pounds, it's actually a 20-pound test. Mm -hmm. So they drop that multiple times as well. And that's, you know, in cold environments and in warm environments as well. Um, But then you look at what is actually tested, and you have active controls and passive controls. Mm -hmm. So this only talks about active controls. So that would be an actual tool lanyard or Mm -hmm. a bucket that's actually preventing the tool from dropping. Passive controls such as netting, tow boards, that's that's not dealt with at this time. Yeah. And most people's favorite passive... Will it be tied into that? Uh, not at this point, you know, maybe in the okay. future. Um, but, you know, hard hats, uh, that would be a passive control that's not under this standard. Mm-hmm. 
So when you talk about uh, tethering to a person, does it deal with any weight requirements of what you can tie to a person? Or is that is it still is it still kind of a what kind of rules of thumb do y'all recommend or mm-hmm. how does that flow? Because obviously you don't want to tether a, you know a fifty pound object to you and then drop it because you're probably going to follow it. Exactly. Yeah. So this one doesn't specifically say what weight you can attach to yourself. It it talks about the weight ratings of the attachment points. For example, if you mm-hmm. have a tool lanyard uh, attached to an attachment point to yourself or an attachment point to the tool, that's addressed, but mm-hmm. nothing specifically for the person. And, you know, it's kind of tough to do that because there's different shock absorbency with these lanyards. Yeah. Uh, well, that's, that's one where y'all are kind of ahead of the pack, right? That's really important to us. Yeah. You know, just stopping the tool from dropping, I mean, that's like checking the box. That's the yeah. basic. Now, to get above that is when the tool is dropped, how do you negate the force felt yeah. to the person? How do you slow it down? That's where that shock absorbency comes into play, and that's really important to us. Yeah. Because we've done tests where we've dropped a five-pound weight, and some of the lanyards where it's not shock absorbent, it could generate up to 200 pounds of force where you have that well, shock Well, I think you all have some stuff on your website, don't you, that kind of shows uh, test of your all stuff versus you know competitive stuff that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a couple links to videos on our website and YouTube that shows that. And we found about a 60 to 70% reduction in shock yeah. by having uh, uh, our tool lanyards that specifically are designed for that. Well, I think y'all have some other, do you have like, any white papers or anything about this standard on your website? Yes, we have a bunch of different white papers on our website, www.ergodyne.com. Um, you know, white papers specifically about tethering programs and systems because um, it's not as easy as just saying here here's a tool lanyard get after it you know one tool uh, could be tethered two to three different ways depending on how the user uses it how mm-hmm. they store it in their pouch gotcha. um, and different uh, different jobs so it really does take quite a few um, visits from us we usually do what's called a tool inventory we have someone take their tools we attach them um, have somebody trial it out for a week or two come back and, and fix any ones or uh, make different attachment points uh, so they have a nice solid system going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that's training that y'all are able to offer through your reps also, right? Correct, yeah. And that's another thing. Uh, uh, the ANSI 121 standard doesn't really talk about training. So, you know, I was talking to an end user and they're like, you know, I was hoping the standard would talk more about which specific lanyards to use, how to use them, uh, training, and really you got to understand this is a great first step in the process. This is not the final step. There will be uh, additional pieces going on top. This is just a framework. How do you see that rolling out? Uh, It's kind of tough because, you know, right now, I mean, I don't think that the NC-121 is going to allow OSHA to go out and start finding everybody Mm -hmm. left and right. I think it it gives them a little validity uh, on the previous standards that were out there, the 1926 and 1910. and the general duty clause. So if they really, really wanted to, I think they could. It'd be a little bit of a battle. But um, you look at fall harnesses, though. They have a standard um, Z359 that just talks about testing and designing of the, the harnesses. That's what similar to ANSI 121. So yeah. I think it really opens the door for, for more um, standards in the future that specifically do talk to how to use it, You know, what's the largest tool uh, weight that you can attach to yourself and, and really dive into that more but at the same time we really shouldn't need that 
you know, yeah. if you're a big company, an end user, and you have issues with tool lanyards and, and falling tools, this should be enough to kick you in the butt and say, hey, there's an issue, there are solutions, there are standards, let's start implementing a program. Yeah, and our, we always talk to our listeners about not being reactive. Don't wait for somebody to get hurt to, to uh, decide to do something about it. Yeah. Bad plan. Yeah. Uh, what we see, the, the, the best catalyst is a near miss, where a tool yeah, yeah, falls, yeah. doesn't hit anybody, gets close, but uh, that's the best way to see if the company actually gets them to go do it, you know, because if they wait and they have a hit, yeah. you're, you're behind the eight ball at that yeah, point. Yeah, you're spending a lot more money than you would on some tool lanyards. Well, Craig, thanks for uh, being with me today. Appreciate you joining the podcast. And I'm going to zip us back up. Thanks, Dave. All right. We're back. (laughs) Quite an interview that hasn't happened as of yet. But um, I don't know. There's just a lot of new things that are happening out there. So we're going to try and start adding in, talking to some experts out there in the industry, you know, more and more as we we go down this podcast road. Because you're going to get tired of listening to our behinds Man, I'm having a tough time I'm censoring myself I said behind I don't think I ever say our tushies tushy yeah my son my glutes yeah my son my son has really got into I don't know he was we were we were taking a walk the other day and there was dogs walking in front of us and he just kept talking about the dog's butt he's because we're walking behind him you can see the dog's butt so he's pointing out the dog's butt and he's saying dog's butt over and over again and it's and his sister is laughing. She uh-huh. won't stop laughing. She's laughing even louder. Every time he says it, she laughs louder and louder. So no matter, we're getting closer to the actual dogs. Yeah. And we don't want our kid to be screaming about the dog's butt. Yeah. And so we just keep going. He does not stop the entire time. We, we threaten. <laughs> we're like, you're not going to be able to do this. No treats when we get home. It's going to be right to bed if you don't stop it. Nothing phases him because his sister will well, not yeah. shut up. Yeah, she so starts doing that. And then last night... Got out of the bathtub. He's he's laying there and he starts flicking his thing. And he starts talking about my penis. My penis. He's talking about my penis. Grabbing on his once again his sister cannot stop laughing. And he, like he's telling the most hilarious joke ever. So <laughs> I'm not sure how I got there. But leads me in this week to our, our dumbass of the week. talking a little bit about tool tethering and uh head so some of that's preventing head injuries right can be so i'm thinking of all of us have had something that we hit our head on we have something in our house that no matter how many times whether it's you're going downstairs and there's a low overhang it's like god damn it once a week i bang my head into that yeah so i'm thinking about my ex-brother-in-law yeah he's he's big song bitch so Every time he goes down in the basement, I have that the basement from the era where nobody must have been over like my right. high, you know five nine five ten. Yes, yeah, so you, you hit know, six foot. Yeah, all of a sudden you you know there's certain places where okay I'm gonna come off if I come off this last step I'm going to bust my head if I don't and I swear every time <laughs> over to the house it's just like rah, bang yeah oh, okay yeah so yeah get, so in your facilities on your sites you're gonna have these areas that it's like. I freaking bang my head every single time I walk in there without a bump. I don't have, we don't wear bump caps because we don't need them for the rest of the work. But every single time I do this job or I do this thing, this happens. And we're not doing anything to prevent it from happening in the future. 
So I think that's, I don't know, I guess we're talking about proactive versus reactive. Well, it's, it's talked about that say, a lot episodes. of times you can't engineer out everything. Right. And so, you know, like what you're saying is, you know, there's a lot of people that choose, are starting to start yeah. using bump caps. Yeah. And it makes a lot of sense because they're not in their traditional construction sense of, you know, knocking around, but it's, it's, you know, let's call it Joe, the plumber guy right. that has to, you know, has to get under that kitchen drain and stick his head in and start moving around or, or a mechanic or, yeah. you know, somebody that's in, maybe they're not going to drop anything on their head, but, you know, just, uh, how to say, uh, kind of like a cat. Yeah. You know what? That's that's the main reason a cat has its long whiskers. Those whiskers, yes, they mean the dark so, can feel it. So it can feel, you know, am I going to get stuck or whatever? Well, we're not blessed. God didn't give us that stuff because yeah. it would be, I'm probably sure there's a filter or something that you can put on one of these apps that can give them to you. Yeah. But, I mean, we just don't naturally have them. And so we're just not naturally blessed with, you know, that ability to go, I'm, I can't do this. You know, so the only way that we can figure it out is with the, uh, going back to fight or flight is, you know, we have to have pain and then we go, Oh, right. I can't, I can't do that. But to that point, when you're having your morning meetings or whatever, and you're like, I've now hit my head in this same spot three times. Maybe it's time to start looking at a sign that goes right there. That's a low overhang or you need to wear bump caps in this circumstance or I cut my hand six times doing this same job and I keep cutting my hand. Yeah. What do we need to do here? Does something need to be engineered out? Do we can we look at this a different way? Do we need to wear PPE? Because you there's silly dumbass. Well, but there's uh there's even we got some manufacturers out there that even make like rubberized molding for like um warehouse shelving and stuff like that. Right. Where you can put a pad. Yeah, yeah. but that's what I'm saying is you buy a roll of it and you put that up there and, you know, you're not going to bang your head into angle iron and then, you know, yeah. split your head open. Yeah, you're not playing football without a helmet on. Yeah. So, don't be a dumbass. If something keeps happening to you, hey, let's take a look at how we can fix it. So, let's move into uh, questions and answers for this week in the old email box. So, number one, do we have to lock out forklifts when we do repairs? Do you have to? Well, a lot of people don't, so obviously you don't have to. So some of this time, you know, when you get in there, obviously when you're working on it, a lot of it depends on what kind of work you're doing to it. I mean, because you have propane run units, you have battery run units, and then there's different different issues with both of them. So when you sit there and talk about, you know, lockout, um, lockout is probably... Uh, not necessary from the standpoint of certain ones, where, but other areas you might. So uh, depending on what you're doing. But anytime a forklift is taken out of service, because, you know, realistically the person utilizing the powered industrial truck should kind of do a once around. And if you notice something, you know, it could be just, you know, something easy, you know, an easy fix. But if you notice something wrong, you should take it out of service. So I think more of where the question probably should be is, you know, when you're locking something out is making sure that somebody doesn't operate something that's known to be bad. Okay. So, you know, when you're talking about locking out a uh, forklift, obviously you can uh, 
disconnect the propane or you can take the battery leads off or whatever to where it, it probably, you know, it's incapacitated. But people aren't always going to do that. So there's even stuff like steering wheel covers out there Yeah. that, uh, like Masterlock makes something that just goes over the steering wheels. It's like, this, nope, this right. out for repairs. Go get on another one because... Yeah. Um, so from a lockout st- situation, uh, you know, I think that that kind of deals with that question. Okay. Uh, number two, can a fall protection horizontal lifeline be used at foot level? Uh, that one's kind of tricky. Um, because typically the ones that would, um, th- there are ones out there that are designed to kind of how to be lower profile on the top of buildings. Yeah. And so there are ones out there, but they're engineered for that. And where I think this this one goes to is probably just a regular throw up, you know, rope, you know, a temporary system versus a permanent, you know, like some of them uh, can be rail or can be wire mm-hmm. with shuttles that are engineered into the top of buildings i don't think that this question's being asked in regards to that okay so i'm going to go with the caveat that it's not so then it gets into obviously how are you connecting to it what's the deflection how many people how long is the span so it becomes that mathematical equation that you know uh, i'm going to always answer on the side of no you probably shouldn't do that because typically you want your anchor point to be you know, kind of at your shoulder blades and yeah. obviously foot levels, not your shoulder blades when it comes to that. So, I mean, there's not a perfect answer for this one. So I'm going to opt in the, if it's an engineered system, you're probably fine. But if this is a temporary system that you're just throwing up, you're probably not going to get everything right to where you would be okay. Because again, there's so many factors of, you know, how did you get it tight enough? How many workers do you got on it? How many feet, you know, Right. Is, is the span so probably more if if you do need a horizontal lifeline to work at foot level make sure that you're purchasing one that's designed to do so yeah because i would say there probably are systems out there that are designed to do so yeah there's systems that are but they're they're typically not going to be temporary okay you know they're going to be an engineered this is here from now and forever and ever i'm in okay you know for the guy that's got to walk a roof or whatever that led me to something that I think is a, a good thing that I didn't I didn't know until probably about a year ago. But that foot level, that that's kind of like the general term for below yeah. your shoulder blades. So sometimes someone would think of, well, it's at my back level or at my butt, you know, level. But that's still like when the, you'd still need something that's designed for use at foot level is what most manufacturers are going to call it. So like if you're using a retractable um, and a tie-off point. And it's just tied off in the middle of your back or your lower back or your your legs. You still need something that's designed to be used at foot level, mm-hmm. for the most part. That's going to be what any manufacturer yep. seems to be calling it. So. And usually the problem with that is if it's designed for that, then the shock absorber or system is going to give more way. So then yeah. your fall clearance changes. So it becomes it it becomes a mathematical race to make sure that well I'm not uh, I didn't quite hit right got close but I was still above it yeah. So, all right, number three, when a glove has 360-degree breathability, what does that mean? 360-degree breathability. To me, it's going to mean that it doesn't have a coating on it. Okay. Because most coatings are not very breathable. 
and you know the but it pro- probably could be a like a microporous uh, like there, a nitrile there, foam or something some, like that, right? There are some that are that claim to be, you know, there's some that are also there. I think MaxiFlex now has one that's impregnated with something that causes it to feel more cool against the skin. Okay. Um, the fiber that you have against your skin can be feel more uh, comfortable, and thus anything that feels more comfortable is going to feel like it's more breathable, whether it is or it isn't, you know. Some of that, I don't know, unless you did a, there's tests that you can do to see how much, you know, how much air you can push through something. Right. But usually when we hear, you know, the breathability of a glove, it's usually in a coated product. And so you'll have your traditional kind of to your knuckles, then you'll kind of have a three quarters or, well, how to say, from your knuckles to your fist. And then when you're to your kind of your fist, you're, you're at a three quarter and then you can go a fully dip. Yeah. So as you create, put more uh, dip in the process, you're you're closing that up. So 360 degree breathability. I'm gonna go after the fact that it would be a not not a coated glove. But most likely that manufacturer, whoever is trying to claim that their glove is breathable through the coating, yeah, is most likely what's trying to happen. And but I'm whether gonna, or not that's the case, I'm just gonna say it's gonna be more about what fiber the glove's made out of. Okay. Because if you put if you put Dyneema, Dyneema on versus uh, Kevlar, you're you just put it on and Kevlar is probably going to be hot, but it's going to feel it's just going to feel awful just because it's an itchy fiber. But all of a sudden you go from a uh, let's say like a 13 gauge to an 18 gauge, the 18 gauge is obviously going to feel cooler than right. you know, the the, the uh, base level 13. And it should, you know, there should be space in the weave anyway. Interesting. All right. We'll, we'll call that an answer then. Probably not the best answer. <laughs> no, I think that, but that explains what they're trying to say. Well, they I mean, claim it there, to be, but people, there's some I, caveats there, I think. You know, most of the time, you know, it just depends whether it's dry grip, because if it's completely dry, then you can use some of those micro micropores. Yeah. But you still have people that want to try to, you know, they want it to be perfect, and then they're putting their hands in something that's kind of like goes back to the whole, okay, probably not going to hurt you today, but if you keep eating, you know, the, the lead paint chips over time, you're going to yeah. get it stacked up to where you're just going to be, you're not going to be use, you're going to be useless. Go. Cool. All right. Last thing that I really had for the day was, there's a, a Reddit going around about mattress sperm. And the thing that made it stand out to me is because a week and a half ago, my wife and I went to go see Macklemore. We drove to Chicago and saw Macklemore. You know Macklemore? All right, I'll play some Macklemore when we get out of here. How about Kesha? Kesha was with them. Uh, I think I've heard of Kesha. Man, you got teenage kids, too. It's wild. To me. And Sometimes what's funny is they can probably tell you more about Led Zeppelin than all I that know, stuff. I know, yeah. <laughs> Your kids need to get beat up or something. So, you know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so we were driving, I don't remember what the little suburb of Chicago that we were in, but it's like out by Tinley Park. Okay. Anyways, I, we, we drove and then on the right side of the road there was a mattress firm. It was sticking out. And then we drove literally two blocks and there was another mattress firm. 
I was like, was there a mattress firm back there? And I stopped the car and I turned around and I went and I drove by. And there was two mattress firms that were within three blocks of each other. Well, you want to hear how messed it up? We're in Davenport, Iowa. Yeah. There's a mattress firm on Elmore. And Which the, I saw today driving to lunch. And there's a mattress firm on uh, 53rd. Is there? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so. So. <laughs> here's the Now thing. that you say that, I'm literally like, well, what the hell do we need to? Yeah. Because. You ever been in one? Yeah. It, were you alone when you were in there? No, I was with Brandon. No, but I mean, were there other people shopping there, like, at the time? No, it was... No, it's only you. It's it was me, usually three or four me, people working. Me, Brandy, and a lady, and I still don't know if she was bullshitting us or what, but she was up and had her shoes off, and she was on a, uh, a bed, and, yeah. she, and she goes, I'm walking it down. Okay, whatever that I'm means. I'm like, so what the hell does that mean? So I guess there's... I've, I've uh, since asked a couple other people that have worked loosely in the mattress industry at some <laughs> point in time. And on some of these newer types of bed, you know, the Tempur-Pedics and stuff, yeah. they actually do walk them down. So when, uh, you, when, you, when you get in, in, when you get into it, because I guess a lot of people like sample a brand new one and it's a little bit different yep. after somebody's kind of got in there and broke I'm it a little sure bit. around. Yeah. So basically, basically. Worked it out. They've, uh walked it in okay well and plus is there anything that's more awkward than laying in a bed while a salesman watches you (laughs) like you and your wife are in there trying out a mattress like laying on it and this salesman's like yeah i like the way that one looks for you (laughs) pretty awkward but anyways this whole thing is about there's 3500 mattress firms in the united states and i looked at like a map they showed the, the blog that i was reading brought up austin texas and there is so many mattress firms in Austin, Texas, that it's ridiculous. I'll bet you there's 30 or 40. And obviously there's a lot of people in Austin, but it's just wild. And then people started writing about how they'll be in like a strip mall in Illinois. Like there's strip malls that have two mattress firms in the same strip mall. Or like a mattress firm, and then like I experienced a couple blocks away, there's another mattress firm. That's 70 mattress firms per state. That's wild. That there's that many. I mean, many, I'm many, sure it's skewed in Texas. Yeah, but and, how many Walmarts are there? I don't know. Don't know the answer to that question. Keep going. I'm going to Google that. <laughs> but I think you, something's weird. Anyways, um, so yeah, there's all these things about a real uh, chicken man from Breaking Bad operation going. It's like a drug laundering thing where they have all this. And it was sold for like five years ago for like $3.7 billion to like some foreign company that bought Mattress Firm. It'd be like... If you needed big trucks with mattresses, I mean, that's like the old adage of like drug dealers hiding their hiding yeah. their drugs in mattresses. That that's the whole like. So there's a big like conspiracy out there. Is mattress firm just a big drug laundering industry? Because you go in there, there's never anyone in there. So what you got? It's not doing anything yet. All right. Uh, there were. 4,177 Walmarts. Okay, so that's pretty close. There's almost as many mattress firms as there are Walmarts. But Walmart doesn't just sell beds. <laughs> right. <laughs> and have like 15 beds out there. And they don't warehouse anything at mattress firms. No, they drop ship it off. Yeah, so that happens. The And here you go. And, and, uh, and blue, 
Bluis Capital Advisors proclaim that that's just simply too many stores. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. So, with mattress, and they're probably shutting some down. Yeah. But my understanding, when I dug into it a little bit, is that, like, the margins on a mattress are insanely high. So, to, like, remain profitable, they have to sell about 30 mattresses a month. Oh, each store? Each store has to sell about 30 a month, and it's a profitable store. And so... I don't know why it still makes sense to have two in the same strip mall. Um, there's got to be business sense behind it if they're not a big drug laundering operation. Wow. So if you want to build a quad city safety across the street, maybe that's the way we need to start going. Okay. Just start popping them up. So there's my conspiracy for today. Mattress firm. Look into it. I'm going to pay that a little bit of attention. Yeah, look into it. So that's it for us today. Um, appreciate you guys listening once again. Um, we're starting to wind down here, season three. So. Oh, I did see an interesting statistic today. Right. Um, I think it was Honeywell that was throwing it out there that, uh, and it was talking about hand hand injury or excuse me, eye injuries. Okay. And they've started noticing that uh, the uptick in eye injuries is is not static amongst the population as it works now. It's it's based more in millennials. So they've got a kind of a marketing push. So if you see. Watch for the millennials without their safety glasses on. And if you're a millennial, wear your safety glasses. Put some on? Yeah. Fair enough. So, but no, just going in there, we're always going to see things oscillate back and forth is, you know, there's a group of these kids that, you know, their parents never allowed them to mow the grass or anything like that. So they probably, they probably haven't been in situations to, to be ready for that is, you know, yeah. our generation that kind of, I'll say my generation, you were probably on the generation that really got it thrown at you. Me, you know, we were still kind of, you know, just don't look at the well. You know, if you're going to weld, yeah. you know, look where you're going to do and then try to close your eyes and not go blind. Yep. But, uh, no, I just thought that that was interesting that, you know, that they had statistics good enough to take it back. I'm sorry I de- defeated how you were trying to exit. Yeah, I was trying to exit the show. Well, yeah. let's do it a little clumsily. It's all right. So, once again, appreciate everyone listening to us. Um, we're winding down here, season three, so season four is upon us. So if there's anyone you'd like for us to get on from the podcast or a topic that you'd like to go, we're going to start playing in season four here. I think we're going to be systems go with it. So uh, let us know if there's anything we can talk about or something to broach for the day. So that'd be fantastic if we heard from you. Uh, quadcitysafety.com, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. We're on most social media platforms, so... We're even talking about an Instagram. I think there's there's talk of an Instagram starting up, so yeah. we'll see we'll see what happens there. But still not uh, still trying to figure out Snapchat. So yeah, still don't so, think with that. So come on back uh, next week. We should have another episode for you, and we'll see you next week. Safety's got no quitting time. Thanks. Thanks for listening in to Dave and Bacon Safety Tales, brought to you by Quad City Safety. Send us your questions on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter at Quad City Safety, hashtag Safety Tales, or email them to Fred at QuadCitySafety.com. He's the guy keeping this mess of a show in line. And if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. It's a kick-ass way to show that you care about safety.